Welcome to the Trinity Western Chapel podcast. As a vibrant part of life at TWU, Chapel creates opportunities for us to engage with God's story of redemption in Jesus Christ through His Word, prayer, and worship. We're glad you're listening and hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. My name's Ewan Lowe, and I'm a senior lecturer in New Testament here at Alpha Crucis College in the wonderful city of Melbourne, which you can hopefully see behind me. It's an immense privilege to be with you today, so thank you for having me at your chapel service here at Trinity Western University. It's a huge privilege to be here, and I'm humbled. I hope that what I have to share with you today is a helpful and relevant word from the Lord. So why don't we take a moment and pray together? Lord, we thank you that we are able to take a brief moment in our busy lives to pause and reflect on your word together. As we delve into your holy scripture, which informs us on how we should live our lives, may we be enlightened by it, may we be challenged by it, may it lead us to a deeper and further relationship with you, but We also ask that in reading your text, that it would challenge us to be better representatives of you wherever we are. Remind us that we are citizens of your kingdom, which is now and not yet. Give us hope as we minister to others in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm continuing on with the readings that you have been going through in your chapel services, and I understand that we are going through the book of James. So we're now at chapter two. Um, So allow me to read it out loud um, and share it with us. Um, What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole text out loud. I'm reading James chapter two, verses one to seven, and I'll be reading from the NRSV. What I'll do is I'll read that, and then I will draw out a few different observations from the text and leave us with a challenge to reflect on. So James chapter 2 verses 1 to 7. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? If a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there, or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thought? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that was promised uh, to those who love it? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? What a powerful text. 
and it's reading texts like these which remind me of precisely why I love the Bible. For a book that was written millennia ago, it, cont it continues to be so powerfully relevant to us, even today, especially a text like this, which speaks very much into recent world events. Now, as you're all, I'm sure, very aware, over the last few months, the world has changed quite a bit. Uh, we've been impacted by COVID-19, this um, global pandemic. And one of the interesting things, the, the big challenges that's come out of this pandemic is that it has cast a spotlight on the many structural inequalities within our society. In fact, I should say societies, because what we've seen is an exposure of inequality, not just here in Australia and where you are in Canada, but throughout the rest of the world, in Asia, in Europe, in Africa. The question of what it means to be wealthy and relative wealth has become very, very pressing. For example, there are those of us who are rich. We've been able to work from home. We've been able to avoid others. Um, you know, we've been able to go into lockdown and not really worry about our lives. On the other hand, there are those who are not in similar circumstances and are forced to risk themselves, their lives and the lives of their families in order to earn a living wage in order to ensure that their family stays alive. One of the things I think the pandemic has done is forced us to ask ourselves, how do we treat others? How do we support others who do not have the same opportunities as we do? And I think it's a very pressing question even today. The fact of the matter is, of course, you and I are very incredibly privileged. And we are, by any global measure, we are rich. The fact that we're able to attend tertiary institutions already sets us above a substantial amount of the population, the global population. And I think there's no question that as we have clothes, we have food, we have roofs over our heads, and we're able to come spend money on frivolous things, but also to be able to afford a tertiary education, we are very much rich. And more tellingly, as a result of our wealth, I think we do unfortunately often make distinctions among one another, precisely what the text is telling us not to do. We do judge others based on their appearance, based on their education, based on what they earn, based on their relative status within society. The text reminds us, however, that we should not do this, that we need to honour the poor. Now, of course, one of the great ironies of the Christian tradition is that we believe in a God who um, self-sacrificingly gave everything for the whole world, um, you know, left heaven to be born into poverty and live among the poor, a movement that was in its early stages and all, in fact, throughout its, its history, renowned for its generosity and the way it dealt with the poor and the outcast, the destitute, those whose society had rejected. And yet, thousands of years later, we do find that, unfortunately, many of our churches, Christian institutions, parachurch organizations are, in fact, guilty of hoarding wealth and setting themselves above others. It is quite upsetting, I think, for us to, to realize this. So then, what do we do with a text like James chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. 
Let me make three quick observations on the text before we move into a challenge. Observation number one is that poverty and being poor, I think, is a, a term that we need to wrestle with and think through very carefully. Of course, depending on where you grow up, depending on your upbringing, poor means different things. I spent my early childhood in Malaysia, um, and when I was 12, I moved to Australia, and the immediate impression I got was that actually Australia is a very rich country, and we indeed are. But as I spent more time here, and as I got to know Australia and its issues a little better, I began to realise that poverty manifested itself in different ways. For example, here in Australia, we find fewer homeless people on the street. However, I think we do find more visible incidents of alcoholism, drug abuse, things like that. So I began to realise that poverty and being poor is a much more complex issue than I'd initially thought. When we come to talk about poverty then, we, want to, we, we need to realise that it's not just people who have less stuff than us, right? Or, or, or more stuff than us, and, and therefore we're poor. I think there are a bunch of other factors that come into it that we need to consider. Now, the problem here is that there is a danger, and the temptation is to trivialise or downplay material poverty, and we'll say things like, oh, they may be poor, but they're rich in the Lord, or they're rich in spirit, um, rich in wisdom, or, or other you know, nonsense like that. However, the text that we've just read, James 2, it very clearly addresses material poverty, the fact that there are people who are visibly poor coming into the church. And so they are disadvantaged against, whereas the rich are given special privileges. The text calls us to move away from this mindset where we judge people based on their looks and their material possessions. And that's something quite challenging because we often like to sidestep that. Now, of course, I think the text does call us to consider our own roles and responsibilities in inequality, whether global or local, and asks us what can we do to make a difference. I think one of the problems then for us is that we need to change our mindsets and ask what do we mean when we speak about poverty and realise that poverty is not just a global issue, but it is a, and can be often a local issue. And there's a huge amount of variance within that. The text is clearly talking about local poverty, where in churches we like to talk about global, global poverty, because often that's a little bit easier, to be honest. It, you know, we, we can talk about the poor people starving in, in countries far away, but we often neglect the fact that there are poor people among us in our own communities. And it's not just the visible poor who come into our churches, but we dishonour the poor in many other ways as well. Here in Australia, for example, we dishonour the poor in our neighbouring nations by our refusal to act on climate change, uh, by our trade practices which exploit other nations. These things help us to hoard our wealth at the expense of others. We dishonour the indigenous people of our land um, who are poor as a result of the legacy of colonialism. We continue to oppress them and refuse to give them the same opportunities as everyone else does. We dishonour the poor by gating universities, by making it um, you know, so expensive that people are unable to attend university. We, we put many small hurdles 
in the paths of those who require government assistance through often no fault of their own, and in that way, we dishonor the poor. In our classrooms, we can often dishonor the poor by ignoring their voices in our studies. We privilege the well-read. We privilege researchers who have the money to be able to do their jobs. And we often ignore the voice of the poor, especially in biblical studies. And as you can see then, this is a continual significant challenge to all of us. Now, as I mentioned earlier, one of the big challenges of this text is that it does address material poverty, wealth, the perception of wealth. And it's a strong reminder to all of us, I think, that the Christian message is not just here to address uh, spiritual needs, but we are also called to address physical needs. We're here to feed and clothe the poor, not just pray for them. We're called to bring good news, and that good news should immediately change someone's life, not just some, in some ethereal spiritual sense sometime in the future. Thought or observation number two. This text challenges us to check our privilege. Now, there isn't a simple solution, of course, to the question of structural inequality and poverty. There, there, there cannot be one. Uh, many of these issues are very deeply rooted and require a thoughtful, organized response from our entire society. However, I think there are ways that we as individuals can respond, and there needs to be both. There needs to be a societal response as well as an individual response. And I think the best way for us as individuals to be able to respond is to remember our privilege, to check our privilege. As I mentioned earlier, um, those of us who are able to attend universities and other institutions, tertiary institutions, we are very, very much privileged, though it may not always feel like it. Now, Whilst university is a very helpful place for us to be able to discuss new ideas, to become socially aware, uh, to, to change things up, we also need to remember that, as I alluded to earlier, our tertiary institutions are systems that were built often from privilege and for the privileged. And so they can, if we're not careful, teach us ways to um, reinforce this systemic inequality, to continue um, discriminating against the poor and to subconsciously perpetuate this divide between rich and poor. We need to be very careful about that. And this manifests itself in subtle ways, let's be honest. The way that we treat our professors and honour people with titles like doctor or professor. Um, you know, the, the often Western privileged um, uh, contexts that we study the literature that we read as part of our classes, the way that we interact with our peers within our university or conference settings, um, the way that we dress, the way that we present ourselves, the way that we try to climb um, you know, the, the, the social ladders within our tertiary institutions, all of these things can be incredibly disadvantageous towards the poor and reinforce the status of the wealthy and the privileged. Um, you know, for example, I, I've had many times where I have discriminated in my own mind against those who did not have the same level of education as I did. Um, and quite often, you know, you get a check in your spirit by the Holy Spirit, reminding you that this is not something that you should be doing. 
Um, but it, it's a very real problem. You know, you become um, intellectual snobs or academic snobs, as we call it. Now, the letter from James reminds us that God sees all believers as equal, no matter their title, no matter their wealth, and does treat all people with equity. God is not interested in playing favorites, and neither should we as a result. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't give honor where honor is due. I think instead we, we do need to keep doing that because it is important. But what the text calls us to do, I think, is it challenges us to consider that actually all people are worthy of honor, especially the poor. See, if we're not careful, we then create room for the wealthy, we create special privileges for them, and we sequester the poor away where we don't need to see them, which is precisely what the text tells us not to do. We forget God's call to us and we create hierarchies of status within our churches, within our institutions, within our universities, and we become, as a result, obsessed with our own status. We get locked into this tiny little rat race and think only of ourselves and forget about others. That's a real problem. Thought number three, and it's a very interesting one, which is that there is an assumption within James 2 that the Christian people, the Christian faith, will always be engaged with the poor. In chapter 26 of Matthew, Jesus says to his disciples, you will always have the poor with you. And the text that we've just read makes it really clear that the poor people are always welcome within the church. Now scholars say that one of the reasons that Jesus says this to his disciples, that you will always have the poor with you, is not to cast doubt on the fact that, you know, this, the, that we will never be able to solve global inequality and poverty, but rather that the Christian faith should always be attractive to the poor because it is good news because it is a place where they can be treated with dignity and with respect. And so the poor, you should always have with you. And as Christians, I think we do have a responsibility to be engaged with the poor in our society, to act in solidarity with them however we can. And we see this through the whole Bible, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Hebrew Bible, in, throughout church history. The followers of God have always made room have always made provision for the poor and done their best to set aside their privilege in order to help others. This means then that we need to consider what is helpful and what is unhelpful within our own church cultures. What, what, do, we, what do we do as Christians? What do we practice that is helpful? And what do we practice that actually goes against what God commands us to do? celebrity preachers and culture, you know, our own wealth, the way that we dress within our churches, the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we speak about others. All of these things are things that we need to examine. We need to remind ourselves that we do need to live as Jesus did in solidarity with those in need, bringing about the coming kingdom of God through witness to others, through lives well lived, meeting the needs of others and by the blessed hope of his return. What are we doing to serve the poor? And I don't just mean sending money overseas to a faceless organization that you, you don't know anything about, though there's nothing wrong with that. I've worked for those organizations. But what are we doing to serve the poor in our neighborhoods, our neighbors who live in poverty, our friends who are not as materially well off as we are? Are we discriminating against them? Are we privileging ourselves? 
how are we enacting the coming kingdom of God among those who need it the most? Let me con um, conclude with a challenge for all of us to think about. And that challenge is a simple one. What are we doing to check our privilege and to honor the poor? One of the, 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 the most challenging things, I think, about being a student in, in university, in a tertiary institution, and about being a, a lecturer um, or an admin or, or working within our you know, very privileged space is that we become very absorbed with our own work very quickly. And soon, nothing exists outside of our studies um, or our work. We, 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 we prioritize it above everything else. On the other hand, there's the other danger, right, where you, where you come into university for the first time and you enjoy it a little bit too much. And in doing so, you also place yourself first and forget about others. Um, there's a reason why we call it the ivory tower of academia, because we can get so absorbed with our arguments, with our research, with our studies, that we can completely forget the outside world. And today I want to challenge us not to do that. Of course, it's important for universities to be a space for us to learn, to argue, to debate, to work out these new ideas. I'm not saying that we should change that at all. What I am saying is that we cannot remove ourselves from the societies around us, that from the events that take place around us, that we need to consider just what the implications are of our faith for the people in our atmospheres who are all around us. And that's something that's quite difficult to do, and it does take practice. One way I think we can do this well is by the practice of empathy. And one of the ways I like to try and do this is to try and understand the context of the people around me, to learn their stories and to figure out why they do what they do and why they are in the positions that they're in. You don't know until you ask, unfortunately. And I try to do this in the same way that I would with a biblical text. You know, we, 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 we say to students all the time, when you come to study the Bible, you must understand its context. You must understand the history, the geography, the language, all of these things before you can really unpack the biblical text in a, a way that is appropriate for scholarship. And I think that we need to try and start doing that with people as well. Are we taking the time to understand why someone has become poor? What happened with their parents, with their families? What happened to them? You know, did, did they make poor decisions or were they disadvantaged by accident? You know, all of these things can help us to learn and in doing so become more and more empathetic towards the people all around us. Poverty is very often circumstantial and, you know, an accident of birth. And so we need to recognize that we have been blessed so that we can bless others. We have been given much so that we can give to others. Or as Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, because there are times in our lives where we are able to be generous and give, but there are times in our lives where we will be dependent upon others. So let us never forget those times when we are dependent on others, and therefore be as generous as we can to others. So as we go, as we conclude, I encourage every single one of you to meditate on this text a little bit further. Where are the poor around us? Do we even see them? What is God challenging us to do about this? How will we respond? We don't have to address every single instance of poverty around us. It's impossible for us to do that. But we can make a difference in the lives of individuals. We can begin to bring about God's kingdom one small step at a time.
So let's not get caught up in ourselves and in our achievements, in our education, in our titles, in our awards. Let's not treat others differently, but let's continue to be faithful stewards of all that God has entrusted to us. Treat others in the same way that Jesus would. Honour the poor. Honour one another. And give dignity and meaning to all people. Why don't we pray? Lord, again, we thank you for the time that we've been able to have. We thank you that we've been, been able to delve into your word. And as we go from here, we ask that you alert us to the poor around us. Help us to check our own privilege, to remember that we are very much rich in a lot of what we have. Give us solutions to be able to help those in need. Help us not be condescending, help us not to be superior, but help us to remember that really we are blessed so that we can bless others. Let us be generous. Be with us all as we walk from here. In the most precious and wonderful name of our Lord. Amen. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship together with you soon at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m. You can also stay connected with us by following at TWU Chapel and at TWU Student Ministries. Much love.